0: hold that guy. Um, So we're in week four of our aircraft carrier initiative. And in case you're joining us for the first time, uh, we use this phrase around here a lot that we are an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. And so think about that. Um, uh, Both our boats But the latter uh, is used for the purposes of entertaining the people on the boat, while the former are merely training and equipping those on the boat to go out on mission. And so we choose to be the former. We choose to be an aircraft carrier, a place where you can land, where you can learn to be equipped in your Ephesians 2.10 calling and be launched into the mission in the community and beyond wherever it is that God has called you to go. And so in this season, this Generosity Initiative, what we're doing is we're expanding our platform. We're just building a bigger boat, y'all. Um, if you're in the lobby, if, uh, can I hear you in the lobby this morning? Just a few people out in the lobby. Let them know that you're here in the worship center online, give us a shout out. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah. So we're expanding our platform. And so here's what we're doing. We're, we're building an additional 38,000 square feet, uh, worship space, classroom space, office space. You can see the footprint here. And then here's a view of what it will maybe look like. I think that's what it's going to look like right there. Everybody, ooh, ah, yeah. So if you're part of the parking ministry, um, that's what you'll see one day and you'll be pushing people to the doors. And so um, here's the deal. We're doing this um, not because, man, the church is not brick and mortar, The church is full of people, and you are people, and we're already seeing God do amazing things. Extraordinary God activity is what we're after, and we're seeing it in the lives of people. But here's the thing. I've asked you this for the last few weeks. If you have been transformed by the power of God through the ministry of restoration, man, we want to see more people experience what you've experienced. And so we know that we're in a high-growth area, so more people are moving to the area. More people are on the golf course today. More people are doing everything. Everything but going to church. Um, We are living in a post-Christian culture where people aren't knocking down the doors of the church, but here's what we know, and we see it as evidence. Man, God is on the move, and he's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing here in Montgomery County, and so this is our mission as a church. Very simply, our mission is to help you accomplish yours, okay? We're the Home Depot of churches, right? You can do it. We can help. So what we're asking you is don't wait on the church. Whatever God's called you to do, whatever he's placed in your heart, man, let us fan the flame so you can go be you and do you in the community through the power of God. Had someone uh, the other day after last week's sermon come visit with me in my office and just said, Hey, here is what I feel called to do. She was talking about feeling called to teach women. Felt like that God, as a 10 year old girl, had told her that she would be a teacher preacher to teach women. And she said, I, I want to do that. And I said, That's awesome. Don't wait on the church. Who is it that God's placed right in front of you? Gather them. And she said, I've already started. You do you. Let's fan the flame. And man, we want you to get involved in our women's ministry. It's awesome. But don't wait on the church. I think so many of us, we're waiting on the church to to give us something to do when God's like, what are you waiting for? I have put something, I've placed a calling on your life. Go and do what I've called you to do. So, our mission is to help you accomplish yours. So, today is Commitment Sunday. And so, um, I wanted to let you know for those of you who haven't been around, on every one of the communion stations, there's a trifold brochure. It's kind of a brief that lets you know about our initiative. And on the inside is a commitment card. And this commitment card, um, real quickly, if you've not seen this before, it gives you the opportunity. Uh, if you currently give at restoration, the top number is for you. This is what I currently give. If there is something that God is placing on your heart, an expanded giving, you can place it in line two, and then you bring it down and you multiply it by three. This is a three-year initiative and you can see that that is your commitment and then if you have a one-time gift or stored resources that you want to give as well, you can place it in there and so we're going to ask at the end of the service, everyone's going to have the opportunity to make a commitment and so uh, I've told you this week after week, don't think percentage, think participation. If you call restoration your church home and you've never been a part of giving, this is an opportunity for you to sow into what God's doing. And we're going to see through the passage this morning that it's not that God needs your money. What he wants is your heart. And he wants to allow you as you manage his resources, he wants to expand them and grow them for the kingdom and for his glory. So we had a a small gathering of about 40 people on Wednesday night. We planned it perfectly. We planned it. Game two of the World Series. And so we just knew that people would pack it in. And uh, we, had, we, had, we had a full house of 40 people and uh, some key volunteers, strategic volunteers. And I, I just want you to know that we're just off to an incredible start. Out of those uh, commitments that were made uh, just the other night out of 40 people, we've already... Uh, have committed $1.4 million above and beyond our regular giving. Um, And so that is incredible. So you put that with, if we are averaging around $3 million a year, that puts us at about $10.5 million over the next three years, which means we're halfway to our goal of $21 million. That's extraordinary God activity, y'all. So if you're here for the first time and you're like, oh no, I showed up on the wrong day. um, It's okay, just enjoy what's going on and we'll get through this together. Um, Here's what I wanna say to you, man. We started in a home in Wood Forest in 2014. And like I told you last week, I was a reluctant pastor. I'm a less reluctant pastor today. Um, But man, look at what God has done. We have blossomed into a force for the kingdom of God in Montgomery County. Uh, But let me be clear, this current season is not because of anything other than the power of God. This is the power of God at work. He plants, He waters, He grows, He harvests. You know what we bring to the table? Our yes. That's all we bring to the table. And so with that in mind, I want to quickly look at this parable today uh, that Jesus told in Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. We call it the parable of the talents. And it naturally parallels where we've been over the last few weeks. If you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Peter in Matthew chapter 14, the night that the storm comes up and, and Jesus comes walking out to the disciples on the water. And remember, Peter took that step of faith. He took a risk. He's stepped out of the boat and he did something that only Jesus has done. He walked on the water. And so this incredible moment of risk and reward, then remember we saw last week in the life of Nehemiah. Remember, Nehemiah heard a story about the the wall of Jerusalem being broken and burned and in ruin and what happened. It says that he wept, that he had this passion. He prayed, he fasted, he begged God. He had a holy discontent in his life that something needed to change. And remember, when he opened up his eyes after praying, God showed him that he was in the perfect place at the perfect time. Remember, he was a cupbearer of the king. And, and, and remember we said that when you start uh, wanting to do ministry, immediately it's like, quit your job, move to Africa. Start there, right? Every good thing starts in Africa. When in reality, man, God has placed you where he's placed you for his purpose, for his glory. So right where you are, when you develop a holy discontent and you begin to pray and weep and fast for, for what only God can do in your life, I promise you, open your eyes and he'll show you He's placed you right where you are for a reason. And remember, he was right there next to the king. What did he give Nehemiah? He gave him safe passage to go back to Jerusalem. He gave him all the supplies. He even sent an army with him. And then when he got there, he had all the people he needed to accomplish rebuilding the wall with no technology in 52 days. God's will, God's bill, right? What God wants to happen He bursts it in your life, and then he gives you every resource to accomplish it. So I want us to look at this parable, and this parable involves risk, investment, and great reward. Matthew chapter 25, um, I want to read through it and then just point out a few things, okay? Starting with verse 14, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid the gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever, whoever has will be given more, then they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Twist to the story at the end. End of scene. So we see this story, and it's clearly a story about stewardship of resources. It ends poorly for the last guy, by the way. And so I want us to unpack it and see what Jesus is really trying to communicate. And so here's the context. Uh, In Matthew 24, especially the last part of Matthew 24, um, we refer to this passage a lot during our study of Revelation. Does everybody remember the two years we spent in Revelation last year? Um, So uh, walking through the book of Revelation, we were constantly looking back at the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 as he was talking about the end times. And so as you read through the last part of 24, he's talking about uh, the end times when he is coming back. At the end of 24, he says, hey, listen, I'm coming like a thief in the night. Nobody's gonna know when I'm coming. That's where he talks about, you know, two men will be walking up a hill. One's gone, the other's left. Man and wife asleep, one's gone, one's left. I don't know if it's the husband or the wife, but you can figure that out, all right? So then we move into 25 and there are these two parables. So in Matthew 1, he says this, he said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps. Out, So we see that he says at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and he goes on. So when we get into verse 14, he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. So right here at the beginning of the parable, it is the kingdom of heaven. So he's describing what it is like to live in the kingdom of heaven, meaning this, there are kingdom principles that as far as of Jesus, we're called to live by. And so what he's doing is he's laying out for the disciples and for you and me, he's laying out these kingdom principles that we are called to live by. And so he starts and says, the kingdom of heaven, uh, it is like this. And what is it like? He says, it's like a man going out on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So the man going out on a journey is Jesus. So this is Jesus, again, telling his disciples he's about to leave. So if you read the Gospels, it's really kind of funny how clueless the disciples are. So he, he talks all the time about, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the grave for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. They never got it right? They're following Messiah, and Messiah in that culture was going to be the next great King David who was going to go ascend to the throne and was going to reign over Israel as the king over all kings. So when they are following Jesus, he's doing all these miracles, but they literally think they're going to storm the castle with him, that they're going to overthrow the government, they're going to overthrow Rome, and they're going to reign and restore Jerusalem to his former greatness. So that's what the disciples, when they drop their rods and says, hey, I'm gonna follow you, that's what they think that's not enough for. And Jesus constantly says, hey, by the way, it's not what you think it is, I'm gonna die. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, cool. When are we storming the castle, right? They they didn't get it. And so here, um, he's describing to them that the master is leaving and going on a journey. So he's saying that, Jesus he's the man on the journey here and the disciples which includes you and me today are the servants. And Jesus says that the master entrusted his servants with with wealth. So, I want you to think about this. If you look in the Gospel of John, um, around chapter 13 through 18, it's known as the Upper Room Discourse. And Jesus is having a last meal with his disciples. He washes their feet. He's talking to them. uh, Again, sharing kingdom principles with them. And in John chapter 14, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And he he talks about this helper that's going to come, that he's going to reveal all things to you. He's going to remind you of everything that I've told you. And look at what he says in John 14, 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What? So think about that. Think about your life. Think about the way that you live today. And think about this whole idea of doing greater things than Jesus. Does that ring true to you? Like when you hear that, are you like, yeah, Jesus, I'm not going to do greater things than Jesus. Well, a couple of thoughts. Number one, what he's saying is, listen, you're going to do the things that I am currently doing, and then in magnitude, it will be greater than me. Why? Because I'm a guy, and now you are 12 guys, and now look at what has happened over a couple of thousand years. You're sitting in this room today because of the words that Jesus spoke over his disciples. Because the Holy Spirit came, they were changed, and then this holy virus spread all over the planet, and we're recipients of that today. So you're a part of the greater things. And now you get to be a part of spreading the greater things now and to the next generation. How cool is that? That we're a part of what Jesus was talking about. And so um, this is this whole idea of teaching, empowering, and trusting them with much greater things. So look at verse 15. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold to another one bag, each according to his ability, then he went on a journey. So the, the NIV uses the term bags of gold. Other translation use the word talent. So let's explain what that is, because that seems to mean two different things, right? What does a bag of gold mean? A bag of gold, all right? So if I hand you a bag of gold and you open it up and you see gold, you're like, oh, look, I have a bag of gold, right? And what else do you do? You say, I'm very wealthy now because I have a bag of gold. And you get online and you're like, what is the price of gold? Oh my gosh, I have a bag of gold. So the word talent contextually, what they would have understood it to mean in this culture would be the equivalent of 20 years of a day's wage. So one talent would, would be the equivalent of 20 years of a day's wage. How much is that? That's a lot. That's, that's, for most of us, it's half a career, right? So think about that, that to the first guy, he gave five talents or five bags of gold. How many years is that? Do the math. A hundi. Right? That's a hundred. So, that's more money than you could ever spend in your lifetime, basically, right? It's like saying, here's a million dollars. So, somebody hands you five bags of gold. Here, Josh, here's a million dollars. Right? If, if you come to me this morning and you hand me five bags of gold, I will likely not finish the message. I will go. I will charter a plane to Minnesota, and I'll be on the 50-yard line tonight for Cowboys Vikings. Okay? So... I'm just keeping it real. That's probably happening. You're like, where'd Greg go? And I'm like, where did who go? You know, and I'm out, all right? So, bags of gold. So, think about this. Five talents. Other two talents, which would be 40 years wages. That's a career worth of earnings that he hands to him. And to the other one talent, it's about 20 years. That's still a lot of money, Right? And he hands us this money, but he says, according to each one's abilities. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, there's got to be a picture of faithfulness in there, right? There's got to be something that made him say, you know what? You get five, you get two, you get one. For a lot of us, when we hear that, we're like, oh, okay, so God plays favorites. (laughs) Immediately, we're like, why do I only get one? And my question is, why do you think you deserve one? Right, I think for a lot of us, we we listen to this story, we immediately put ourselves in the story and we start thinking about our lives saying, well, I'd be the one that gets five, right? I deserve five. Well, so let me just clear it up for you real quick in case it's not clear. You deserve nothing. God owes you nothing. So everything he gives, he gives on loan. So whether you get five or one, you know what your response is. Thank you. The heresy of the prosperity gospel is this, I give and now God owes me, right? I mean, you think about it. We, we hear people say, man, if you will just give, I, I grew up in the Dallas area and there was a televangelist that would invite people to give a thousand dollar vow of faith. You give a thousand dollar vow of faith and God will bless you. And so I'm in college at the time, so I called in one time and said, hey, I'm making a $1,000 vow of faith, but I'm going to give it to my local church. And they were trying to talk me out of it. Well, no, 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 no. Um, Don't you want to sow into the ministry that that told you to give that $1,000 vow of faith? Nope. (laughs) I think they hung up on me. But uh, uh, here's the point. For a lot of us, we think uh, we buy into the lie that I give so God will bless me right? I give, now you owe me something. Know this, God owes you nothing. The second thought is this, we hear that it was according to each one's abilities. How many of you, if you're being honest, um, you either think about somebody in the room or somebody that you know, and you wish you had their gift. You wish you had their resources. You wish in some ways you were them, And so by comparison, you're like, man, I don't have the same gift that they have, or I don't have the same skill set that they have, or I don't have the same financial means that they have. I mean, I've thought so many times, God, make me rich and watch what I'll do, right? I will be the most generous person on the earth. How jacked up is that? God, bless me, and then I'll be a blessing. And you know what I feel like he says to me? what are you doing with what I've already given you? Yes. How are you being a blessing right where you are? With, with, with your financial resources, with your Ephesians 2.10 calling, how are you living in such a way that transforms the world right where you are? For a lot of us, we're waiting on something that's never gonna happen. We're sitting back saying, hey God, when you finally bless me, then I'll go. And he's like, uh, Clue, I've already blessed you. And so as you go, we're going to see in this passage, I will bless you as you go. I will expand your territory. I will expand your resources. But you got to have some skin in the game too. Yes. Amen. Use what I'm already giving you. So a couple of thoughts. First, whose money is it in the parable? It's the master's. So it's God's money. Think for a lot of you, man, you're white knuckling it, holding on to it as if it's yours. It's not yours. Have you ever heard the phrase, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away? Yeah, why? Because it's his. It's all his. He's given it to you on loan. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everything you have that's good comes from Him. Every talent, every ability, every ounce of financial resource, the house you live in, the cars you drive, the pool in your backyard, everything that you own is actually not yours. It's been given to you by God. Yes. Amen. Is that hard to choke down for you? Because it flies in the face of the American way. Because the American way says, hey, I've worked hard for what I have and I deserve it. And know this, whatever you have, God's given you the ability to earn it. He's given you the skill set that you have. He's given you the, the, the wisdom that you have. It's all his. It's literally his world and you're just living in it. So this parable is about resources, including both financial and natural gifting that you've been given. And the ultimate question is this, What are you doing with what you've been given? Yeah, I just want you to ponder that for a second. What are you doing with what you've been given? Okay, so look at what the master, what happens. Um, So he went on a journey, verse 16. The man who received five bags of gold went at once put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the one with five went to work, doubled his money. The one with two did the same. But the one dug a hole in the ground and buried his talent. So there's so much to say here. Could go in a lot of directions, but um, but I think about the brief history of restoration and, and just some of the powerful stories. So um, I'm going to hit these rapid fire and, and, and so this is not exhaustive at all, but just a few things that I think about. Um, I think about Dean and Ashley Hall adopting Zoe, Brent and Sabrina Wagner adopting Jojo, Michael, Michael and Carrie Hogan adopting Chrissy and Jojo, um, Robin and Julie Marlar. So Robin's one of our elders. He was in the early service. Um, they started attending early adopters and at some point they invited invited their friends, Stephen, Pam Irvine. And so Stephen, Pam start attending and they invited some friends to come down for the weekend from Dallas. They were planning to move here. They came to church on Sunday morning. They left church and they said, we haven't found a house, but we found a church home. And they ended up moving here and coming and being a part. And then they moved into Crown Oaks and their next door neighbors, uh, Leon and Mary Potee, um, they invited them to come. And so Leon came with him because he didn't want to uh, expose his family to anything unsafe, and so he came and, and stood in the back with his arms folded up against the wall in the school, and he would stand back every week with this very uh, critical look on his face, and one day came up to me afterwards, asked me to have lunch with him, and we sat at lunch at Papa Cito's. He paid, and, uh, and we, we, we sat, and we talked about these matters of faith. And, and, and he was one of these guys that just wanted to, in, in, in a critical way, kind of understand how the way of Jesus works and how, how we're supposed to live in the kingdom of God. And we had this really great conversation back and forth. He showed up the next week, and then a few weeks later, there was this lady standing, standing beside him turned out it was his wife Mary she stood in the back up against the wall with him and for several weeks they're standing up against the wall then they moved and they sat on the back row and they slowly moved up to at one point every week they're sitting on the front row both of them were baptized their entire families in the kingdom now and it started because Robin and Julie invited Stephen Pam How cool is that Shannon Batlack, Will Blair, Faith Pittman, Daniel and Amy Bermudez, so many other adults who have trusted Christ and have walked into the kingdom through the ministry of restoration. I tell you that because of this, Um, by the time you turn 18, the the percentage of adults that trust Christ after the age 18 just goes down exponentially, right? Because it just becomes so much harder because rational thought takes over and you rationalize where you are and how much it's gonna cost you because the older you get, your faith gets more expensive, right? And and, and so, so at the end of the day, a very low percentage of adults actually trust Christ. We have seen crazy things happen. And so many adults that have trusted Christ and been baptized here. It's incredible. Uh, John and Tracy Rizzo, who really cashed it all in, they risked all to move to Houston from New York to work with Core Corlove. And when you hear their story and you see the product of their life, John's one of our elders. It's just incredible to hear their story of faith. Uh, Wes and Candice Lambard, Jeremy and Sarah Joan Alicia Carter, who started Love Coffee for mission. And so every time you buy a cup of coffee, the goal is that 50% of all the net profits go to, to uh, helping poor into Core Love to accomplish mission in Haiti. Um, Todd Ware, who brings the kingdom through barbecue. And know this, if if you have tasted Todd Ware's barbecue, it is literally the kingdom of heaven in your mouth. It's so good. Uh, And then his wife, Dana Ware, uh, Brad and Trisha Mock, who by the way, have adopted as well. Um, And and, and Brad at at a dinner a few weeks ago talked about serving in children's ministry. He's representing this morning. Hey Brad, will you stand up and show everybody your cool Restoration Kids t-shirt? Yeah, yeah, he's our resident fashion model. Um, Yeah, you get one of those when you serve in Restoration Kids. We don't even charge you for it, right? And so um, Brett and Tricia, uh, Chris Stone, Dee Myers, Keith Brown, so many others who serve our kids faithfully every Sunday. Then Justin and Lindsay Alger, Jeff and Kelsey Horner, Alex Murphy, Kim, Ben and Sully Lugnoski, Tad and Cassie Woeful, Ike and Kim White, so many others that serve in our student ministry on Sunday nights weekly. Dave Shannon and Sarita Schneider who voluntarily serve as our men's and women's pastor so faithfully. So many more. I mean, I could go, I could spend the rest of our time just pointing you out and talking about how you're making a difference in the kingdom of God. These are just a few of the many who are putting their talents to work are risking and are seeing God do incredible things. And I'll, I'll guarantee you you sit with Dave Shannon and you ask him what it's meant to him to use his Ephesians 2.10 calling. And he'll tell you story after story and he'll start tearing up. He's a bigger baby than I am. He'll start tearing up as he's telling stories about grown men who are brought to tears because Jesus has made a difference in their lives. Verse 19. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with many things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The same happens with the guy with two bags of gold. He says the exact same thing to him. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your in your master's happiness. So uh, the first two, the one who had been given five, doubles his money. The one who had been given two, doubles his money. And when returned, what did the master say? Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he says, you've been faithful with a little, I'm gonna give you a lot. So a couple of thoughts. How much do you love it when someone says, I'm proud of you? And some of you need to hear that today. God is proud of you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not mad at you. God is crazy about you. He loves you. God is so proud of you. When you walk in faithfulness, just know you don't have to earn his love. He loves you. And a little bit goes a long way. I love, it's interesting that he says, hey, what you've done with a little, I'm gonna trust you with a lot. Again, I put a million dollars in front of you. Is that a little or a lot? Yeah, to us, that's a lot. To us, that's a retirement plan, right? We're like, oh my gosh, thank you. Even, even if it's just, you know, what, 20 years wage, Hey, I'm giving you 20 years. Well, that means I'm done, right? I'm an older guy, so I'm like, oh, I'm finished out, peace. <laughs> but think about it. What we think is a lot, God says is just a little. Yes. For a lot of you, whether it be financial or the thing that God has called you to do. So many times we we give a little and expect a lot from God, and God's like, "What you're doing is nothing compared to what I want to do." That heaven is full of prayers, answered prayers that we never bothered to ask. There's so much more that God wants to do, and He's like, "Listen, thank you. When you're faithful with a little, I'll give you a lot." The faith to move a, the faith of a mustard seed moves the mountains been faithful with a little, I'm going to give you a lot. Is that hard for you to realize? That the thing that you sacrifice is actually nothing to God. Why? Because Psalm 5010 50, 10 says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, he's got it covered, y'all. It's not like he needs your money. No, he's a good master who hands it to you and says, hey, listen, I'm entrusting you with this. What does entrust mean? I trust you. I'm gonna allow you to steward this for my purposes, for my glory. Isn't it interesting that he gave them no instruction when he handed them the bags of gold? He just leaves. They could have been like the prodigal, prodigal son who just blown it all on loose living, whatever that means, right? They could have gone and bought a yacht Lived it up, and then the master gets back, and they're like, oh, that's probably our story, right? If we're being honest, <laughs> we'll be out on Lake Conroe trolling in our yacht. Woo! Yet he gave them no instruction. They were just faithful. They were faithful to do something with it. That tells me a little bit about their view of the master. They loved the master and they trusted the master and they wanted to please the master. And so when he gave them a little, they took it seriously. And the reward was great, right? Well done. I'm expanding your influence. But again, think about it. He told them nothing. They weren't doing it in order to get a reward. They were doing it just because that's what they thought they were supposed to do. And his response was, I'm expanding your influence, not because I owe you, but because I'm proud of you. So what did he say to the other guy? Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here, what belonged to you. So think about this on the surface. He handed him back what he had given him. That seems benign, right? At least he gave him back what he had given him. But what did he do? He operated out of fear. Fear was the motivator of his decision making. Um, I, I was in a couple of different uh, counseling appointments this week, and this came out of me. It's not something that I, 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 I knew, but I guess I knew it because I repeated it a couple of times. But know this, anytime that fear enters your decision-making, you're in trouble. Yes. Because what does fear lead to? It leads to your irrational thought, which causes us to make irrational decisions, And so when fear enters the equation, man, all bets are off. And so if you tend to operate out of fear, if fear is the number one motivator in your life, in the areas of your life, including your finances, then you are in a tough spot because if fear is your motivator, then you are prone to irrational thoughts. And what do fearful people do? They hold on tight. That's what the 11 guys in the boat did in Matthew 14, right? They were hugging the side of that boat in the middle of the storm. And he says, I was afraid, and so I buried it in the ground. But what did he say before that? He completely blamed and misunderstood the master's heart. He said, hey, listen, I know you're a hard man. You're a hard man to please. And you're, you're out there making money off of things that you know, you're know you harvesting where you haven't sown, you're, you're gathering where you haven't scattered seed. I knew you were a hard man, so I just hid it in the ground because I knew that when you returned, I needed to give you back what you gave me. He misunderstood God. Maybe you find yourself right here in the story. Maybe you've misunderstood God. Maybe you've misunderstood his heart. Maybe uh, if you're honest, you're operating from a place of fear and protectiveness. Maybe it's a fear of loss. Maybe it's a fear because you've been hurt by people. Maybe it's fear because you've been hurt by the church. But that fear has become the lens by which you view the world. And know this, as soon as fear enters the picture, all bets are off. Whatever the case, operating from a place of fear is a recipe for failure in the kingdom of God. It's the opposite of a kingdom principle. It's moving from fear to faith. And so um, look at what the master says. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So here's where we can get confused. I was reading a commentary earlier this week. They said, well, this is clearly not Jesus because uh, Jesus doesn't operate like that. Well, no, what he's saying is, hey, listen, he's not agreeing with the servant. He's saying, if that's who you thought I was, then wouldn't you have at least put it in the bank to get interest back? I mean, if that's really what you think about me, if you really think I'm hard, if you really think I'm such a tough God, wouldn't you at least get a little interest off of it? He's not saying I'm a hard man. He's saying that's an excuse. You're making excuses for why you don't wanna act. And then he calls him wicked and lazy, which is, I can't imagine that's ever a good thing. If the God of the universe ever calls you wicked and lazy, not good, all right? Harsh words from the master. And so look at what happens. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, it got dark in a hurry. (laughs) It's like I'm taking your one bag, giving it to the the guy who's rich now, the guy who has 10 bags, more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime and I'm giving him even more. You, I'm taking from you the one that you had and I'm casting you out into utter darkness. So you know what that tells me? This has got to mean something more than money. It's going deeper than that. At this point we realize that it's about more than money. He's talking about salvation and talking about living a life in the kingdom of God. He's saying here that you've been given the opportunity to receive and manage gifts and resources given to you and that just as we saw in the book of Revelation, he had just talked about it in chapter 24. He said, I'm coming back. I left and I'm coming back, so you gotta be ready. When I come back, you gotta be ready and that we'll be judged by what we've done with what we've been given. Is that hard to hear? That you will be judged by what you've done with what you've been given? So this is not about salvation. It's not work-based. Listen, salvation in Christ is by grace alone through faith alone. You cannot earn your salvation But James 2 is a very misunderstood passage where he says, faith without works is dead. And know this, your works are the evidence of your faith. So let me say this. I want to make sure that you get it. You can't say that you follow Jesus and then not follow Jesus, but still say you follow Jesus. All right, let me say it again. That's really confusing, right? So you can't say that you follow Jesus but then not actually follow Jesus, but then still say you're following Jesus. What does that mean? It means that talk is cheap, y'all. Again, we've said it so many times. We're slapping Christianity on, uh, as a label on our lives, but we are not, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, living a life worthy of the calling we've received, We've been called to a better life. We've been called to a life that has fruit. That I'm an apple tree and I'm supposed to bear apples. Have you ever seen a tree that's supposed to be bearing fruit but doesn't? What do we call that tree? Dead. Or at very least sick. And so what he's saying here, listen, the product of your life matters. Matters. And what you do with what you've been given is actually a determining factor that Christ will return. And when he returns, he is returning his judge. Yes. He's returning to say, hey, listen, I'm back. What have you done with what you've been given? So there are three levels to this. First of all, what have you been given? You've been given grace, love, peace, hope, mercy, forgiveness through the cross of Jesus the first thing you've been given is an opportunity for a life in Jesus through the cross. So listen, if you, don't, if you don't fix this one, the other two don't matter. You were bound for an eternity without God. Jesus took your place, the death that you deserve, he took it on the cross. He paid for your willful independence. You were born with the propensity toward doing your own thing, and you can't get out of that cycle on your own. You can't fix yourself, and Jesus said you can't fix yourself. And so I'm going to take your place. Romans, or uh, rather Hebrews nine twenty two. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Amen. Somebody's got to die for your sin, either you or Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing: you get to choose. So that's the very first thing. By receiving that, you get to be called, John 1, 12, a child of God. That's good news, right? So once you've received the gift, how are you multiplying it in your life? How are you getting in the secret place every day and allowing him to develop this deep sense of intimacy and calling? so that it can flow into the lives of those around you. So that's first. Secondly, are you actively pursuing your Ephesians 2.10 calling? Like last week, are you weeping, fasting, praying, begging God for a holy discontent and then looking for what's right in front of you? That it's not enough just to say I'm following Jesus. It's Jesus, what have you put me on this planet to do? Who are you calling me to be? And begging him to show you So that you can get to it. Then, third, are you holding your financial resources loosely? Even more importantly, are you investing in kingdom activity that will yield a great reward? What are you doing with what God has placed in your hand? Are you operating out of faith or out of fear? I mean, this whole parable is about risk and reward, right? I mean, think about it. These guys that received these bags of gold, these talents, they invested it. What if they invested in the wrong things and they lost it all? Yeah, that's risk. Those of you that invest in the market, you know what that's like and you know that if you watch it every day, it's doing this, right? It can be unnerving. It's about risk and reward. So as we move into this time of commitment, um, I just want you to know God is moving in a powerful way in the life of restoration. And I think you know that. I think you sense it when you walk in the room on Sunday morning. Most Sunday mornings when I walk in this room, man, the hairs on my arms stand up. Just because I feel the sense of the presence of God. I hope that you feel it when you're here. I hope that you feel challenged. Hope some weeks, most weeks, your heart is beating fast. um, Not out of condemnation, but out of conviction that the spirit is saying, hey, this is your next step. He's moving in a powerful way. I mean, we've had almost 200 people baptized in 2021 alone. So last Week, we, um, we had people scheduled to be baptized, and, and then after the 12 that were scheduled, we had some extra towels. We had about eight towels, and we just invited anyone who wanted to come and be a part of baptism. And so um, I can't remember, Tabitha, if you were scheduled or if you just decided. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Tabitha Walker was baptized last week. Um, Tabitha and her brother, uh, she's 30, he's 29. They've been a part of our body for about six months. And so she was baptized and and it was really cool and emotional. There were lots of tears. Um, And so let me tell you the rest of the story. So we, we've got these towels and so we pass out these towels and we got down we had one towel left. And so I just kind of made the joke, hey, you've got one more towel. That means one more person needs to be baptized. And a hand goes up and it's Andrew. <laughs> Come on, Andrew. And so uh, <laughs> here's the rest of the story. If you're here in the 945 service, you often hear Andrew. And Andrew talks back to me every week. Um, Andrew, yeah, there you go. Andrew, 10 years ago, suffered a traumatic brain injury. He was on a four-wheeler on Thanksgiving Day on 1314 and got hit by a a truck and was really left for dead. He was in the hospital for several months. They sent him home to die. And now, 10 years later... um, Andrew and Tabitha, about six months ago, came walking in to, uh, or rolling in to, uh, to um, Restoration. I can say that, we're bros, we're good. Some of you are like, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Josh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they come in and Brian Jenkins was preaching that day and after the service, Um, Brian just felt moved and actually chased them down in the parking lot to pray over Andrew. And I think that was really the moment when they were kind of like, man, we need to be here. And so they've been here for about six months. Um, Tabitha, through a series of events, became Andrew's legal guardian. And so for the last 10 years, she's been caring for her brother. In recent months, one of the things that Andrew has told her that he wanted to be baptized. And so when he raised his hand to come and be baptized um he starts coming down and I'm like uh how's this gonna work you know we're not really a sprinkling kind of church but I guess we'll do whatever we have to do and um as he got closer um Daniel Bermudez was right here on the second row and I said hey man I'm gonna need your help on this one immediately there's six seven guys that surrounded Andrew and it was like gospel stuff y'all how many of you were here last week when that happened yeah, how many of you stayed to the end and caught this whole thing? Yeah, this was the guys that cut a hole in the roof and lifted their friend down to Jesus. So they get together, and they're kind of consulting each other on how to make this happen and they pick Andrew up and they put him into the baptism pool, I hand the phone to Tabitha and Tabitha begins to share his story and oh, what a powerful story. We baptize him and 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 so you know, she was saying, I didn't know how we we were gonna be able to baptize him and here he's baptized. And then they got him out and back into his wheelchair. And uh, here's the thing, man, I loved that for Andrew, but I was more watching Tabitha because here's what I thought. What God had given her, what was in her hand, was to care for her brother. For the last decade, so think about that. Day in and day out for the last decade, this this girl in her 20s is caring for her brother. And here's what I want to say to you, Tabitha. I believe in that moment that it was like when Jesus was baptized, that the Spirit fell in the form of a dove and said, hey, this is my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. I'm well pleased with you. And I believe there's something powerful on the horizon for Tabitha. Not because of her, but because she's saying yes to what's right in front of her. She's being faithful with what little she has and now God is gonna use it to do big things in her and through her. So what about you? What about you? What are you doing with what God's given you? So we're going to move into.